Is it easy for you to think in that way now? Because you've been successful. I, I have it's, to ask you. I mean, people, you're, people always say it to me, you've got yeah. the money that you need, therefore it's easy for you to do it. The answer is, I don't need money. With a global financial collapse on the horizon, even more detrimental than in 2008. What are the state politicians and privateers going to do as we face imminent failure? Well, there is hope in one man, ready to confront the challenge more than the rest with a mission to change the world and to create a freer society. He might just be our only catalyst left and the source of truth that the next generation deserves. Philip Ullman, thought leader and social entrepreneur. What we'll start off with, I think, is an introduction from each of you, um, just so that we can familiarise ourselves with each other. We'll start with you, Philip. I thought I was going to avoid having no. to do an intro. Okay, you've thrown me the deep end. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm a uh, biblical scholar and investor. That's what I do over the course of my 25 years at, at a, a large recruitment and facilities company. I grew it from a turnover of about 10 million to um, a billion. Um, and um, I was employed 100,000 people a year. It was an international group. But, but the key for me, it was the transition from um, the, uh, the world of business to the world of um, purpose. I tried to convert it into a social enterprise and failed uh, totally. I couldn't do it. But um, I learned about the opportunities of social business. So, uh, my, uh, I'm a visionary. I have a, a, a new vision of how a society can be governed based on my biblical studies. And I'm an investor. I have now a, a range of, uh, fortunately, uh, big businesses that can change the world. Um, what's more important is my family. But uh, four, four wonderful children, um, nine grandchildren. Um, and wonderful family life. Wow, you're very busy then. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, wonderful, Mark. My name is Mark Hutchinson. I come from a background of finance, so I've been a financial trader for 15 years, and I specialise in income-producing skills to then funnel that into property. So my background has essentially been in how do I generate income and how can I use that income effectively to then work for me. I've then built a education company over the last seven years, helping people do exactly that. So my kind of philosophy has been giving the average person the mental framework and the financial literacy that people have lacked in the schooling system to be able to not just build a life they want, but build a life they can sustain that's gonna then be passed on to future generations. So I've been doing that for the past 15 years. And we've got big expansion plans to help facilitate a problem, which is capital. I started a fund two years ago, and that fund has been growing, and we've just hit seven figures, so small milestone. But we've got plenty of big plans in the future. Fantastic. Josh? And so I'm Josh Littlejohn. Um, I'm the founder of a social enterprise and charity um, called Social Bite. Um, so social Bite started 11 years ago, and we first got involved in the issue of homelessness when we'd opened this little cafe and a young man who was homeless selling the big issue came in after we'd been open a couple of weeks, plucked up the courage and asked us if he could have a job. And I kind of got started on a journey um, around how we can use 
different business models, um, innovative business models to tackle a social issue like homelessness. And that's led us on a journey of opening up a chain of cafes where we offer jobs and free food to homeless people. It's led us to embark on some major fundraising initiatives, which have collectively raised over £25 million over the last 10 years. Um, and it's led us to, to launch a range of more ambitious kind of projects uh, involved in providing accommodation and kind of community living to homeless people. Um, we've built one village in Edinburgh and we're in the process of trying to build two more, um, which gives homeless people a place to live and find their feet. Um, so yeah, that's a bit about me. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> isn't it? I think that's uh, something that we should yeah. all be aspiring to. Uh, Josh, I'm very humbled by what you've said. Yeah, thank you. And you, you've got to follow well, us. But yeah, my name is Victor Sasanya. I'm a postgraduate student studying at University of Cambridge, entrepreneurship in particular. Um, my background actually started off in finance, in investment banking. So um, I used to trade European equities. But what I do now is more so um, I run a community group full of university students and recent graduates and young professionals. And I run talks and workshops to help them develop high value skills that can help their employability, help them get into careers and sectors they otherwise wouldn't have access to because they lack that sort of soft skills, but also the technical skills. And I ventured off into um, education sort of consultancy. So um, I'm part of the Youth Learners Council for the Foundation for Education Development. And we practically um, advise organisations like Ofsted, um, UCL, the government on educational policies in the UK because UK has had the same sort of education system that, which has not changed and it's not um, serving our youth anymore. So um, I do help around that area. And with that, I do a lot of public speaking in schools and, and educational institutions. I've got a lot to say about that, but we're not going to go into that. And I'm glad there's... Some people looking at the educational policy, I'm sure you all agree, in this country. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so our discussion today, we've got several parts of our discussion, and we're going to start with why do we have people with plenty and others with nothing? That's our first question for the inequality and the power divide. Um, it, it's a big question, and, and we can start with that. Why do we have people with plenty and others with nothing? Your initial thoughts, I think, Philip, before we open up the okay. discussion. Okay, so it's, uh, it's simple for me. Um, we have two misaligned systems. We have the state, which is about the we, and we have uh, capitalism, which is about the I. So if you have every single business allowed to focus on individuals and not the we, not aligned with the state, which is focusing on everyone, you're going to get inequality because no one's focusing on everybody. So uh, because you're allowed to make as much money as you want, be as greedy as you want, um, until we deal with the fundamental issue of the purpose of living, which is to care for others and to care for the planet, we are not going to achieve uh, anything close to equality. Mark, um, your initial thoughts about that, because I think Philip's made some really good points there. Mm -hmm. uh, the state about we and business about I? Yeah, I would say because I come from a capitalist point of view, uh, which is the, the, the complete opposite. However, I I understand that and I approach this from a holistic point of view, which I'll, I'll bring to the fund. So the fund that we're creating, the whole premise behind that is we allocate a certain percentage aside to do good to the world. It's 
what I have a hard time seeing is that without capitalism, how do we progress and encourage people to be incentivized to create these businesses? So even if you look at a charity, for example, it still has capital-based processes. It's still run like a business. If you look at Oxfam, it's still run like a business and has to, to be able to function. So I have always a hard time seeing that if we don't prioritize it, how do we then incentivize the innovators to then create the businesses, to then provide those opportunities out there? So I've kind of gone with the philosophy of there's a middle ground. If there are more conscious role models that would put things in place to prioritize people in the workforce or in these places, you can allow leaders to create leaders. So let them step into their leadership to take responsibility and create these other opportunities where it's not just greed, me, me, me. So it kind of more of a hybrid model. That's kind of my philosophy. Uh, thank you for that, Mark. I'm going to ask you, Josh, because you come from a charitable perspective and Mark's arguing that there is a way for it, for a business, I suppose, capitalism, not to be me, me, me. Is that really possible? That's the whole concept of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to be, sort of agree with Philip really in, in, in what he was saying. Um, I was first inspired right back in those very early days when we were um, dreaming up Social Bite, um, I stumbled across a book by a guy called Professor Muhammad Yunus, I'm sure you'd be familiar with. Um, and prior to stumbling, uh, stumbling across this book, you know, I had no reference points for social enterprise or any of these other kind of social business models. And, you know, for me, if you wanted to set up a business, if you wanted to be an entrepreneur, then the only framework I really was aware of is the success equals money. You know, and I studied economics at university and they literally teach you that the role of, a, of an entrepreneur is to one-dimensionally maximise profit. So that was the framework that I was going out of education and into the world with. And I stumbled across this book by Muhammad Judas, um, who's a guy that's based in Bangladesh. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2006. And in this book, he described an idea that he called a social business. Um, and he talked about how in Bangladesh, he set up over 50 different companies. And some of them have gone on to become billion dollar businesses. But he never owned a single share in any business he ever created. So the motivation for him was because he kept seeing these myriad of social challenges and his solution was always to try and create a business format to tackle that challenge. And I just thought, wow, that really aligns with who I feel I am as a person. And maybe you can be an entrepreneur, but have a social motivation. And I found that really inspiring. And that's the kind of journey I've embarked on over the last 11 years. And certainly I, I think that there's so many people in the world, like, you know, Philip's articulated, that are really motivated by wanting to change the world or tackle a social issue. And I think that we do need to broaden the kind of environment of capitalism um, so that those motivations can be harnessed and the power of the free market can be more proactively directed at trying to tackle some of the social challenges that we face. Thank you, Josh. If you look at the model of Bangladesh, weirdly, I've had a lot of experience going in and out of that country. Mm -hmm. It's very, very different Mm -hmm to countries in the Western world. I'm going to come to you because you're actually studying and you mentioned education, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship in Cambridge. Um, are the models having to map the... I mean, it's a very silly question and I know the answer to this, but the models that you use have to map the country. And I know you were inspired mm-hmm. by that book, but actually we're looking at a very different perspective aren't we if we're looking at the UK for example if we're looking at France for example what little gems have you learnt and are learning that enables you to answer that question you know why do we have people with plenty and others with nothing in Bangladesh 
there are many, many, many people with nothing? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I actually studied economics as well for my first degree and my second degree entrepreneurship. And it's fascinating that, you know, the, the initial way you were taught about entrepreneurship was to maximize profit. So we define an entrepreneur as somebody who exploits an opportunity, whether it's unprofitable or profitable. It's about, did they exploit the opportunity? Did they find it? Did they go through that creative process? And that's why we have companies, you know, such as Uber, who made no profits for a very long time, but can, you know, the founders will still be sort of labeled as entrepreneurs. But to your question about the divide, I think, again, it's very important to look at the UK context because we need to look at culture. Um, In the UK, now I agree with um, Philip's point, I think, in the UK, there's a culture of capitalism. There's a culture of um, every man for themselves. And studying economics, I think this is sort of the fundamentals. It's because there needs to be incentives to produce. If there's no incentives, um, what you'll find is many people won't go out to try to exploit an opportunity. Um, What I think, um, if I was to summarise it, why there's such a divide, why so many people have plenty and uh, so many people have a lot sorry why few have plenty and a lot have very few i think it boils down to assets if you look at the income inequality in the uk it's very wide but it's because of the wealth inequality who owns the assets that produces the income and i think that's the tackle that's the question we need to tackle we need to look at who's owning the assets what type of assets do they own um i think there's a statistic around 42 percent of wealth is stored in pensions and property. You know, then we look at different assets, but those with very few, if you look at the amount of assets they have, it's, you know, it's near to, to none. This is so important. I have this debate all the time. And Philip, you know, for someone who's been incredibly successful at business, and I, I love the way you talked about, you know, being successful in the world of business, and now you want to look at purpose. Um, is it easy for you to think in that way now because you've been successful? I, I have yeah, to ask you. I mean, people, you're people always say it to me. You, you got yeah. the money that you need, therefore it's easy for you to do it. The answer is, I don't need money. I'll be facing. I don't want money uh, because it, it it gives me responsibility. Uh, I've never wanted money, so it, it, it's it's not right. But effectively. Um, what Josh, let me just address what Josh says. I think it's important. Josh made a, a, a response to what I said, and he, you talked about the fact that you need incentives in order um, to to allow uh, the economy to thrive. Um, I question that. I'll be honest with you. What, what do we really need? And I've done a lot of work on this, and 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 more money is not what we need. We need loving relationships. We need a loving family. We need a, a loving community. We need a, a, a nation where we care for each other, we need a planet that's thriving. Um, and more money doesn't give you that. So to, to think the only way of motivating people is to offer them more money, I think is misunderstanding people because um, people need relationships. I've never been to a eulogy of anybody who said he, made, he was worth billions of pounds because no one's interested. Is mm-hmm. what legacy, what, what, what loving relationships did he live? How many people did he impact? How many lives did he save? It's always about people in, in eulogies. It's not about money. So to say the only way of getting people um, to be motivated is by offering them more money, I just think is, 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 is simply wrong. Um, now, what 
what I see is 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 is, is we, we are competitive. There's no question. We are naturally competitive. I recognise what you're saying, but there's a much better way of motivating people if you have measures of um, people's needs and how many people's needs are being met in terms of family, community, meaningful jobs. Um, we should have competition in terms of how many people's lives can I impact? How can they impact the planet? So rather than having these um, rich lists, which are completely crazy and, and damaging, um, we should have measures of how many lives I've impacted. So to channel the energy that we've all got to compete, we all are naturally competitive. That's the way we are. Let's measure how much impact we're having on lives on the planet in a very simple way that everyone can understand. And that will achieve what you're talking about, Josh. You don't need to offer more money because um, to a certain point, I mean, how much money am I spending? Minimal. I'll be honest with you, very, very little. Uh, underwear from M&S, my, my, by the same suit every time. I, don't need, I just don't need cars. I don't, none of this. I don't need any of it. So it's not about money. But I am very competitive. I'm ambitious. I want to change the world. And it doesn't need to offer me any more money because it's not about money.